Now, it's good to be in the house of God and to hear his word. Today we are talking about giving to support God's work. I believe you say you heard it all over again. But interestingly, you can never go to the word of God and not get anything fresh out of it. So I pray that we will not just take for granted that we've heard it over and over again and hear what the Lord has to tell us. Father, we speak your word. Speak through me. Speak to your people that all we have to say truly comes from you. We ask all this in Jesus, our Lord and Savior's name. Amen. Giving to support God's work. God has work. And God made you and I, and he expects us to support his work. But how do we do it in such a way that it is pleasing to God? How do we do it so that we will reap the benefits? How do we do it so that when he comes, he will hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Last week, as you we looked at the theme, God's love in action through us, at 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And God told us something in his word, that if even you speak with the tongues of men and of angels and you don't have love, you are nothing. If you have faith to tell the mountain, move, and have love, and you don't have love, you have not done anything. But worst one, or the most frightening ones, if I donate all my goods to feed the poor, and even give, give my body to be bent, and I don't have love, I don't get anything. I mean, how? How is it possible to give all I have to the poor? Everything should I be zero. I'll become poor myself. Even if I give, I give myself to be bent and I don't have love, I'm nothing. What is the meaning of this? Jesus said something similar. So when you give to the poor, don't announce it with trumpet fanfare. Don't go and blow your horn. This is what hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets in order to be praised by human beings. Oh, Kofi, I gave him the shoe. Oh, Ama, I sold the dress for him. I paid the children's school fee. So you blow the trumpet. You want everybody to know. Then he says, I can guarantee this truth. That will be their only reward. What is that? That those who know that you gave me this tie and this suit, those who you want them to know, they know that is your reward. Not God. The God is saying here that giving without love profits nothing. If we give and we don't have love, it is nothing. And so we must search ourselves, search our hearts, and ask God to purify us so that what we are doing, we will do it in a way that pleases God. You see, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the apostle tells us something. That the foundation for our lives, our salvation has been laid by Jesus Christ. And so we cannot lay the foundation. But we who are building on it can either build with gold, silver, or precious stones. Or we build with wood, hay, and stubble. The same thing that you are doing can be gold, wood, or straw. God is the one who knows and will see what he knows and what he sees. Then he says, we'll be tested by fire. And that fire will burn any chaff. What are some of the things that he said in 1 Corinthians about giving without love? Why it doesn't amount to anything particularly for the Christian? 
for the Christian giving out of duty. Oh, yes. They say today we should collect tithing envelopes. They say, and it is true, membership, members of this church are on the notice board. So let me go and look. So let me give. So you just give because it is duty, but not out of love. He says, well, it doesn't amount to anything. That I'm not saying though. We'll come back to that. Then he says, you give with contempt because you are forced to give. You feel, oh, I'm being forced to give. Yes, give, give, give. So you just give it. Give it somehow. Without love, it amounts to nothing. Let me ask you this question. The Garden of Eden. Cain and Abel may have seen their parents making an offering. And the two brothers decided to give an offering. One is accepted. The other one is not accepted. Why? Some say, oh, because one brought cow, one brought uh, fat, goat, sheep, and God loves blood, and that is why he accepted it. The other one brought a miserable corn, a leftover guinea corn, and all of these things, and that's why God didn't accept it. Uh, you and I were not there, so we don't know. But I can guess that he didn't give out of love. He gave out of duty, out of misunderstanding. Out of being inspired, he, he didn't even know what they are. People are doing something. So as they say in Ghana, you just went to do something. And God says, that one will not help you. Giving with contempt because one is forced to give. Monkey see, monkey do you, you are doing it. Or giving with an air of superiority because one has and the needy don't have. That's the one who is blowing the trumpet. Oh, you this, let me just give you, what is it? Oh, as soon as you start talking to the person, he won't even hear you to the end. It's not money that you want. Oh, take it and give. It's all right. You go. You will not even hear what the person has to say because you have. Or we give sparingly. Or we don't give sacrificially. In God's word, giving sacrificially is important. And the Lord knows. He sees what we are doing. Give me that video. We've seen it over and over again. But let's see this video of Jesus going to the temple and watching, like he's watching today. Just one minute or 58 seconds. Hear it? Let's see. Jesus is watching as people go and give the poor and the rich people. You can see it better on the TV. So you can turn your neck if you want to. Or you go and Google and you see it. Simply just because there was so much base. So all of these people have given what they could spare. But she in her poverty has given everything she had to live on. The Lord is looking at the heart and is looking at the sacrifice that those who are giving are making. Some out of plenty. He may have given 1,000. He may have given 5,000. But perhaps he's a millionaire. Not Ghana millions, but the other million. 
and then he's going to give 5,000. So everybody says, oh, this brother gave 5,000. But he hasn't really sacrificed that much. So sometimes when you follow the amount, you may get it wrong. So he's saying, out of them, they gave what they could spare. But she, in her poverty, has given everything she has to live on. And Jesus is telling us, as we see in the picture, he's standing there, he's watching, he knows. So what is the lesson God wants us to learn today from this sermon? Can you join me in reading it? Giving pleases God. However, not every giver pleases God. Ask Cain again. Giving pleases God. However, it's not every giver who pleases God. So what's today's lesson? What are we to take away from it? That we must give in such a way that it pleases God. It's acceptable to God. In this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we will learn four reasons or four givers or four attitudes that cause people to give who please God and five motives behind their giving to please God. Givers who please God, they have a basic understanding. They are believers, first, because they are giving their life to Christ. But they also understand something. They accept the fact that God created them. God owns everything in the world. And we, as human beings, are caretakers who give an account to the Creator soon. You and I are caretakers. God owns everything. And one day we'll give an account of what is given to us. Look at Deuteronomy 8.18. Saying to these Jews, who for 40 years were in the desert, hungry, tired, but they never lacked anything. God fed them every morning. When they grumbled about the manna, he added things that they could take, meat in addition. When they lacked water, he provided. So now that they are going to promise land, he said, but remember the Lord your God is the one who makes you wealthy. He is confirming the promise which he swore to your ancestors. It is still in effect today. So you are wealthy, you become wealthy because God made a covenant and he's a faithful God. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And all who live in it, they are the Lord's. So, remember, he owns everything. If this is your attitude, then when you are going to give to the Lord, you have a certain attitude. It's like going to a palace, going to a king, or going to see the, the president. And you have a small gift for the president. He said, sir, I don't even know whether I should bring this gift at all. I, I'm really embarrassed. But please, accept it from me. I'm one of your children, and bless me. If you say, oh, you have brought it, so I receive it. If humility, and you, you are bringing out of love. Some years back, I went to the city of Boaman, if I may so call it. Is there any Boaman person here, or the village of Boaman? Uh, it's uh, where they had the first Baptist church, the first indigenous Baptist church. And I went there to preach. I just come from the U.S., had my American pickup and American things around me. And they invited me, and I was uh, happily preaching. And I went around the town in the evening, and I, could, I was surprised to see how the town was like. In those days, they still sold kerosene in bottles. Five pesos, two pesos. They were using bobo, lantern, 
And all of this, and I said, wow. And at the end of it, they said, Pastor, uh, we don't have money to give you, but we have put something in your car. Whatever it is, please, we apologize by receiving it from us. Please, when you go home, just tell your wife, we appreciate your coming. I took it home, and when I opened the car and I saw it, small basket of shallot onion, small kobe, and some yam, some cocoa yam, some cassava, and all this. See, Pastor, we don't know what to give you. We know you came from the big church of uh, Kumasi. They have everything, but we also appreciate it. They were even apologizing for what they were giving to me. But there are some who give to God as if you are the one who feeds God. You feed the church. Everything belongs to you. And if you are not there, even God will have a heart attack. And when you read that, I own a cow cattle on a thousand hills. You say, which one is that? If you are a thousand hills, I own the cattle on a million hills. That's, he said. So those who give to please God, the Bible says from this second, second Corinthians 9, 1 to 7, they have at least four characteristics. One, they have a readiness and an eagerness to give. Number two, they are not caught unprepared to give. Number three, they give much and reap much. They sow bountifully and they reap bountifully. Number four, they give deliberately, not grudgingly, and not out of compulsion. So we'll take them one by one briefly. They have a readiness and an eagerness to give. The background of this is that the church born by Christ was having challenges. There was drought. There was famine in the then known world. It hit particularly headquarters, Jerusalem. It's a desert. It was a desert. It is still a desert. So all these churches, Paul was encouraging them, help one another. Help. So he went on a trip, asked them to help. Now he's going back. Those were days before easy transportation. Those days, you had to walk and take a time, take time before you go back. So he's saying, 2 Corinthians 9, 1, 2. Now it is superfluous for me to write to you about the offering of the saints. For I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia. Saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. And your zeal has stirred up most of them. He's saying, you have been ready since last year. He's boasting, he's bragging about them. What he's doing here is that he's trying to help the churches to do their best. Sometimes you take what somebody has done to encourage another person. Look at this, what this church has done. Look at what this one has done to encourage the spirit of generosity. It is not wrong to encourage people to do good things to bless the house of God. Say, ah, if a small church can do this, we can also do it. Not to compete and brag, but it's an encouragement to that. We all live in this hard time. Poverty-stricken economy. The drought is bad. But they have decided to do something. Later on, we see the motive why they did it. So, I said, oh, okay. Now, you have a readiness and you are eager to give. Why? Because he said, I can expect that you will give. You are looking forward to giving because you know what it is like. Then the, the second one says, you are not caught unprepared to give. Givers who please God are not caught unprepared to give. They prepare to give. What does that mean? There are many things we do for which we prepare. 
again, to give you an example, if we are going to see the president, to give that gift to the president, or an employer, or if we are going to get married, and you're going to give your bride price to your employer, between Makola or anywhere where they handle the CD as if it's nobody's business, and the Bank of Ghana, or the bank where you can get the same money, but with a different smell around it, where do you go for the money? Where? All right, okay. Now, preparation means you make the effort that what you are giving is not only being, you are not only presenting it, it is presentable. God has blessed you through the month. You know every first Sunday, every first of the week or whatever time, that's when you give your tithe and offering. What have you thought through? How much have you been blessed? What are you going to give to the Lord? You are not caught unprepared. So that you give. You see, otherwise you'll be like this man. The man didn't prepare to give. So the offering basket was being passed around. He had felt his pocket. He knew he had two papers over there. One bigger than the other. So what happened? When the offering basket was being passed around, he took one and put it in. Let's say Pastor Felix. So he, he put it in. Uh, as he put it in, something fell on the ground and fell on Mrs. Sarah, J. Mason's foot. So she said, oh, Pastor Felix, J.Y. He looked at it, said, ah, thank you. Then he put it in the offering basket, 50 CDs. Then when they finished, he said, oh, please, thank you so much for giving me 50 CDs to give. He said, I didn't give it to you. It was for your pocket. <laughs> Sometimes unprepared, can you imagine how you will feel? He'll feel like, I mean, no, I've been robbed. Yeah. And again, I tell people that, you see, human beings are very interesting. You go to, oh, pastor, pastor, you know, you people don't know how to give in this church. I said, I know how we give. Look, if you go to a place where they take four offerings, four or five offerings, you go to the taxi rank and ask them how people come there and change coins before they come to church. For every offering, bang, 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 the two cities become coins they give. But the ones who give to please God, they are not caught unprepared. So I thought it necessary to urge you, brethren, to go on before me and arrange in advance the gift you have promised so that you may not be caught unawares. They had pledged. And he's reminding them, I'm coming and I'm coming. And when I come, give. Or you have received your tithe, you have received, sorry, you have received your salary, you have received the gift. And this is what the Lord has burdened you to give. You are not caught unprepared. It doesn't mean you are like a machine. When there's a need, you want to respond to it. You can give offering. But as far as your basic obligation, whether it is tight or not, you know what it is and you have made up your mind to give. Three, they give much and reap much. Those who are pleasing to God, they give much. Why? They understand the law of sowing and reaping. If this church were a farmland, and you are supposed to sow. And then I give you grain, corn. Come and take and plant. And decide to take 10 grains of corn and you plant. What will you get? Well, you will get more than you sowed. More than you planted. But assuming somebody decided, oh, I'll take one olonka or one bush and plant it. The same land. What will you get? You'll get more. I had the minister of agriculture saying, oh, now they have improved seed. 
So it's people who were sowing seed in the land, the same hectare or acreage, they were getting two to four bags. But with the improved seed, with the improved uh, fertilizer and all those from the same plot of land, some are getting 30, some are getting 40 bags. And they said, wow, can we get the same? Yes. It is simple. Reap and sow and reap. You reap as you sow. You reap what you sow. You reap more than you sow. You reap after you sow. So, all these things are playing here. People who understand that when I give to God, He gives to me. And when I sow, I'll reap more than He. he I mean, I can even imagine. As they say, you can count the number of seeds in an orange, but you can never count the oranges in a seed. Hallelujah. The fourth one, they give deliberately, not grudgingly, not from compulsion. One of the things that the Lord hates is grumbling and complaining. So each one must do as he has made up his mind, not reluctantly under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. You see, it is we pastors, human beings, who make you feel like if you don't give, God will send you to hell. Sometimes we can preach that sermon, and I agree. Sometimes some of us do it, and uh, you feel guilty, and you come and you give. But God doesn't work like that. He wants you to give cheerfully. He wants you to give from your heart. So it is important that we understand that there are some who give and are pleasing to God, and some give, and God will take the gift, or the gift to God, but he knows the difference. What then are the motives that should help us give and give generously to God and sacrificially, so that when he comes, we'll receive that commendation. Friends, in the New Testament, the emphasis is on giving, grace giving, and sacrificial giving more than tithe. I don't like using the word tithe, but we all understand tithe as giving to God's house. Because tithe technically means 10%. The Jews themselves didn't give 10%. They gave more than 10%. But when we say tithe, we understand it's the giving that you give to God that is your basic minimum. By the New Testament, it is more about sacrifice. It is more about grace giving. It is more about the, the, the proportion you have left. Not just what you give. Because you can actually give small or give big, but there's no sacrifice in it. So those who give, there are five motives for giving. Motive. That's the thing that goes on in your mind and your heart and the reason why you give. And this issue of motive, beloved, is important. Even in our worldly system, sometimes people are judged by the motive they think they have. So there are lawyers here and paralegals here and judges over here. Two dead bodies. You see them. Two bodies in the mortuary. And then you go to court. They say, ask for this man. Oh, uh, what happened to him? The one who killed him, they say it's manslaughter. Why? He hit with a car, so he's dead. But this other one, he killed the wife. He gave her poison, she drank it, and she's dead. Well, as far as you and I are concerned, lay people, all die be what? Close eye. All die be close eye. The value is the same. They are dead. 
But as far as the legal technical people are concerned, one will go to jail for five years for what? Manslaughter. The other one may go in for life for what? Murder or murder. What is the difference? The one that knocked the person and the person died, they say it's manslaughter because he didn't have the mind, the mens rea. The act, was, the act resulted in death, but he didn't have the mind. It's an accident. The brake failed. Uh, he crossed the line. Somebody crossed him, so the person is dead. But this one, he bought rat poison, put it in Apeteshi. The wife likes Apeteshi. And when she didn't finish dying, he stabbed her in addition. He made sure, like the one they say, Kumasi, after the woman had died, went and called the wife, and they staged that an armed robber came and robbed them. They did all of this. This one, you go in for life. And your wife who was not there may also join you for conspiracy and other things. So, I'm saying, even in the world, mind is important. Intention is important. And when we come to God, that hymn, that psalm, search me, O God, test me. See if there's any wicked way in me. When arrows are flying in your head and in your heart and things are coming, say, Lord, I want to please you. Lord, I want to serve you. Lord, I don't want these things. Lord, purify me that I'll be like you. Hallelujah. So you battle all of these things before you serve God and serve him out of a pure heart. So five motives. One, they give so that they'll be enriched more and more by God. The gifts that God will give them. Two, to meet their needs and praise and bring praise to God. Three, to prove one's loyalty to Christ. Four, to enhance prayer love and fellowship. Five, to praise God for his unspeakable gift. Let me take it one by one. To be enriched more and more by God. Those who give, their first motive is that God will bless them more and more. Is that a bad motive? No. Why? How do we understand it? Friends, let me share this from my heart and I've had so many ways of talking about this. For those of us in this part of the world, we read the Bible sometimes with a lot of superstition. And we, the preachers, prophets, and apostles have not helped. Because we have taught you to resort and claim things and pronounce things and decree things from thin air. When you find these Jews praying, or you find people who understand the Bible praying, they understand one thing. I want to be enriched more and more by God. They understand that God says, I will bless the works of your hand. I'll bless your thought. I'll bless your effort. So what's the prayer about? Lord, give me a job. Lord, let my harvest be plentiful. Isaac planted. <laughs> he planted. The man prospered and kept prospering until he became prosperous. God is blessing the work of his hand. You don't go and take the name Rehoboth and put on your farm that you have not plowed, and say, God is going to bless me because this is my year of Rehoboth. Who told you? Like the man who was sitting somewhere arrogantly, the guy crossed his leg and was smoking a pipe, and someone said, is that your house? Yes. Is that your farm? Yes. Wow! God has blessed you. He saw this lazy guy and said, do you want me to tell you something? He said, like what? He said, look. Look at the land. When God alone had it, look at how it was like. Bush. Thorns. Tissel, rats, mosquitoes. But when I allowed him to work through me, you see, this is what came out of it. So learn, don't come and tell me, praise God. I'll praise God. I'll praise him because I worked. May God bless the work of your hand. 
That is why we get nations with less prospering and nations with more filled by Christians saying here mystically hoping that God can, he can bless us. 40 years he fed the children in the desert. But as soon as they entered the land, he said, no more. Work, I'll bless the work of your hand. So this is what I bring. Lord, when we plan, when we pray, give us ideas and bless the work of our hand. Because otherwise, how do you give when you don't have? Hello, answer me. How do you give when you don't have? You can't. He said, the God who brought water from stones, if he can do that, he can do that for us and through us. I'm able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Let that be your prayer for 2020. That God will bless your effort. Give you ideas. Give you dreams. Give you software. Give you plans. Give you things that you will develop. And even the ideas when they come, you will know that it is God who has given you. So God will generously provide all you need. And you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures have said, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. So they give to be enriched. They pray to be enriched. And as they are enriched, they know it is not only for them. It's for others as well. For God is the one who provides the seed for the farmer. And then the bread to eat. Look, they say the man who made Ghana rich is Tetekwashi. What did he bring to Ghana? Cocoa. Raw. How many did he bring? Yeah, when he brought it. Whether he stole it or he bought it or they dashed it. He planted it. And that is why we've been chopping from over and over and over and over again. When you give your seed, let it remind you that God will bless that seed to multiply. Hello. So don't be superstitious about this thing. We can claim, but God works with basic principles. He said, God, you will then be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who are in need, they will thank God for it. So pray, Lord, bless me. And the man who said, Lord, the Lord has blessed him up to the point where he can give 90% and live on 10% because his 90 is plenty. The Lord has blessed him with more he needs so he can bless others. Number two, the motive number two is to give to meet needs and bring praise to God. Jesus talked about the rich fool. He had prayed, possibly a Jewish farmer. God bless me. And the Lord blessed him. He blessed the works of his hand. I said, ah, I'll pull down my barn and I'll store everything. I'll tell my soul rejoice and be merry. And God said, you fool. Tonight, your soul will be required of you. What was his crime? Selfishness. There are some, when the Lord blesses them, what is it? More wives? More men, more cars, expensive ones, more trips, more arrogance, more... You just, you just think about it. And I remember those young guys around where we used to live. The Lord blessed them with a bumper harvest. They ate and they drank and they bought beer and used it to wash their hands. Because they've been blessed. Foolish boys. Later on, they came and they took the land away from them. But for the one... The motive is, Lord, help me. Second Corinthians 9, 12. For the rendering of this service not only supplies the wants of the saints, but also overflows in the many thanksgivings to God. It overflows. You are blessing the saints. You are blessing the poor. You are blessing the needy. And they are thanking God. Thank God for Kwabena. Thank God for Amma. Thank God for Calvary. Thank God for this. 
So when we have welfare, we give to them. When we have humanitarian needs, when we have scholarship funds, and we give to this. So, oh Lord, thank you. Without church, without you, I don't even know how, how, how I've gone home. That should be a reason why you must have so that you can give. You are not always getting. The Lord said it's more blessed to give than to receive. And for those who give, so that that's their motive. Lord, let me have so that I can give. I don't know how many people have come to me and said, Pastor, I'm only praying to God that he will give me plenty so that I'll write that check and we'll finish this building so that you'll come and stop talking. I said, you see, like Paul, as a preacher, you may not like to be talking about money. But Paul is doing that because it is an obligation to teach the people of God to be generous, to give. It is also part of our portfolio. Not because you like it, not because it will give you more money. Paul said, look, I have everything I need. But I want you to be rich in the Lord. I want you to do the right thing. So he said, if you give, the Lord will bless you. Number three, motive number three, to prove one's loyalty to Christ. This is a tough one. You give to prove your loyalty to Christ. Friends, the church of God is a human as well as a divine organization. A human organization is supported by its members. We pay electricity bill, we pay staff, we pay dues, we keep record of members. And one of the ways we keep records of members is those who give their tithe and offering. Otherwise, from 1964 to 1968, where members started coming through this church, we have on record 10,000 and over members. Can we cater for all of them? How many of them come to business meetings? But the revised register is there. And for those who prove that they are members who truly are loyalty, you will give them what they are entitled to. Yes, we do help, and we can help those who are not members of the church. But that should be few. But if members of a church say we are not committed or we won't give, what are we able to do? I was standing with the Ministry of uh, Special Needs last week, or this week, last week, and said, Pastor, 2019, may the year not be like 2020, or 2020 not be like... I said, why? said, between death and bereavement, we had 101 people. I said, wow. Friends, that is money, expenditure. Just 101. And the year has started. I, I dare not... Oh, Lord, have mercy. Last Sunday, I was standing here, to and I, a lady just passed in front of us here. I saw her. She was going. And she came back. I said, Pastor. And I gave her a very big hug. Hey, my sister, you are looking good. She went to Joe to whisper in her ears, in his ears. By Wednesday, they called me. I couldn't believe it. She's gone. I said, what? Hey, is that how people die? She's gone. I said, hey. So the year has started like that again. I won't mention your name now. You were. She was just sitting here, came gradually with all dignity. Give me a hug. Give me five, embracing her. I'm talking, she came to say goodbye. Yes, say goodbye. To prove one loyalty to Christ. There are some who say they are members of this church who do not think that it is their obligation to give their tithe and offering here. They have every excuse why they should give you somewhere else. But when something happens, then they come. I'm a Calvarian. Once a Calvarian, always a Calvarian. I thank you very much.
I thank you. It is between my pastors and deacons who bend the rules. And when you are doing those things, you are not helping your church. You are not helping God's work. People must be taught to be loyal. The churches you quote where they are doing big, big, big things, they don't play with things like this. And it's not that they don't play with it. It is biblical. We have been so kind and so liberal, almost to a fault, where our people have become irresponsible and not reap the benefits that God has for them. As a pastor, I'll keep emphasizing this until I am understood and misunderstood properly. It cannot happen. The apostles of loyalty preach it, and you can see the result. But the liberal ones, we don't. So we dissipate our funds, those who can even give. And we encourage them to give so that God will bless them. We don't. Or we don't as much as we. And when they ask you, say, why, why, why? Is it by force? It's not by force. But I have to help you sometimes to do the right thing. Because belonging to a group means that a group must help you to obey the Lord. It is better to obey than to sacrifice. So, loyalty to Christ. And for Paul to prove his loyalty, the church in, in Jerusalem was becoming suspicious of him. He was planting churches more than everybody. And the church in Jerusalem was going through a time of difficulty, hunger, farming. So he went around collecting these funds. And sometimes people believe that, oh, this man, the way he's going about planting churches, he is going to start his own church, his own movement, he's going to compete with Jesus. No, no. When he collected the money, he went and did what? And gave it to the church in Jerusalem to prove his loyalty is to Christ, is to the church of Christ, and not for himself. So giving is to prove loyalty to Christ and his church. Is that what motivates you? If not, think through. Number four. To enhance prayer, love, and fellowship. Sometimes our giving enhances prayer. When you give to some people, they show, they, they, they are so happy. It shows you love them. And it enriches their fellowship. Just imagine being written to say, Pastor, sometimes when I get invitation to some of these villages or small, small towns, I go. And when he goes, hey, he came all the way from Calvary to come and visit us. He came all the way from Accra to come and visit us. And church, we belong to the Ghana Baptist Convention. And the convention, I'm combining number four and number five. The convention has links. But let's understand how church works. They say a Baptist church is autonomous. By saying a Baptist church is autonomous, it means you can do all things by yourself. Many of us interpret it selfishly. By autonomy of the local church means that this church accepts the responsibility that we can be and we can do all that Christ wants us to do. So if he gives the commandment, go and make disciples of all nations. You shall receive power and be my disciples in Jerusalem, Judea, to the uttermost parts of the world. When we are saying we are autonomous, it means we are expected to do all. Jesus said do all. So we do all. But then you realize that, no, you cannot physically go and do all. But there are others who are doing the same. In the Crab Baptist Association, in the convention. So you join hearts with them. And you contribute to funds that make these things possible. So we can go to Nalerugu, we can go to Achinkutuku, we can go to Saom, we can go to all of these places. And be part of the fellowship. So what do you find your church doing? Calvary, in fulfillment of being part of a family of God to enhance fellowship, 
love, cooperation, and sharing what God has blessed us with. We are members of Accra Baptist Association, Ghana Baptist Convention, All Africa Baptist Fellowship, Baptist World Alliance, Christian Council of Ghana, World Council of Churches, Scripture Union, we work with them, Ghana Fellowship of Evangelical Students, Ghana Institute of uh, Linguistics and Bible Translators, uh, Bible Society of Ghana, etc., etc., etc. Linkages for strengthening kingdom and fellowship. When I was preparing this sermon, I had a note from uh, our chief deacon. Say, Pastor, can I find an English-speaking Baptist church in Kigali where I can worship tomorrow? I said, I'll check. I sent a WhatsApp to the All-Africa Baptist Fellowship General Secretary in Nigeria. Then I got a call from Kigali. Yes, Mr. Sabah, uh, we went through all of that. Finally, he said, there's an English-speaking Baptist church in Kigali. That means 8 to 9.30 a.m. Sunday morning. And so, he's welcome. I called Deacon Uba and said, I'll find a church for you. So, wow, wow. You are away, but you're not, you are not away. How many of you are here from other churches, other fellowships, other countries? That's how it works. So, in helping all of this, we are building a network of churches that will give praise to God. So, you are also helping so that these churches will be strong. I can tell you this. The day I went to Ajinkotoku, and I keep mentioning it, I almost ran away. I went down there to the valley. I saw the waterlogged place. The mosquitoes that were coming from there, I tell you, I was looking like a launching pad for them. I said, oh my God, look at these mosquitoes. Can we help them? And they're all part of the family. That's why someone said, oh, we give. Why? We give 25%. We have 30%. Why are we giving that? Let me share this just briefly as much as I can. Sometimes because we do not understand the models of churches, we make comparisons sometimes unfairly. And so, with all due humility, let me share this with you. We were here before these churches came. Look at what they've done. All right. And the churches they call are pastored by people I know who are my friends. So, so look at action. We're there before they came. Look at uh, Word Miracle. Look at Royal House. Look at ICGC. Look at which one again? Lighthouse. All the churches. And look at Pentecost. All the churches that we've called. Calvary Baptist Church is one church among 2,000 churches in Ghana here. We give money to make sure all those thousands of churches, most, most more in all the villages, Tobodom, Franchiniko, Franchinibra, and all of these things are standing. All these churches that you compare us to are made in Ghana churches with their world headquarters here. So instead of Calvary, one church among 2,000, giving to the convention to stand. Those churches are headquarters for 2,000 churches scattered over the world, bringing money for them. So when you see, what you see there is world headquarters. Are you getting me? They are not obligated to give 25%, 30% to anybody. They may actually collect it. If we're world headquarters, we won't be here. Would have been a skyscraper that goes down three stories and goes up ten stories. But that is not the model that we have here. The model is we bond with each other for fellowship, for missions, for networking. That is what your church is, and that's what it belongs to. And that's how it works. So I beg you, try and understand. 
And I say, oh, when we give, you don't see anything. You will give, you will see anything. You will see. It is when, at the end of time, we meet the Lord. We say, wow, you made it possible for this brother, for this villager, for this person. I was in Alergo and I decided to go and see what they call Tinga, Lafia, Lafia, Tinga, whatever. And I walked about two to three kilometers and I saw them. It was a, a leper's colony. And the lepers were there. They were in these buildings. And I walked in there. And so oh, don't come here. And I said, I will come there. And I looked at them. And I said, wow. Who are helping you? Say, the Baptists are helping us. May the Lord bless you. It is your giving that makes some of these things possible. <laughs> On Christmas, before Christmas, I was here. And I saw bags and bags of rice and oil and sugar. I said, where are you taking them to? Taking them to our orphans and our widows. The only regret we don't have is that sometimes we don't take pictures to come and show you and blow our horns. But I believe you have seen enough to know that people to give praise to God for his unspeakable gift is more important than blowing the trumpet to know. Friends, we have a God who gives and we must also be willing to give and give to him. So four characteristics of those who give to please God. They are ready to give. They are not caught unprepared. They give much and they reap much. They give deliberately, not grudgingly. But their motives are just remarkable. Say, God, bless me. And the more you bless me, I'll give. So I'm depending on you to bless the work of my hand. I need vision. I need direction from you. Lord, bless me. Two, Lord, I want to give to meet needs and cause people to praise you. That out of poverty, out of this, this orphan, this person is going to a place, is going to school. Because I've paid their school fees. Not that I've used the 50000 to be buried. Some people come and drink wine and booze and go home. And then you go and say, we had the, the, the best funeral in town. Who cares? And you give so that God will be praised. You show your loyalty to Christ and the institutions that he's building. That his kingdom come unto the end of the world. Then you can enhance prayer, love and fellowship. So, oh Lord, bless your church. Lord, thank you for meeting our need. And they will praise God for his unspeakable gift. That was Paul's motive. And when he did, you see, for 2,000 years, the church has continued to exist. Let us not drop the ball. God is a loving and a faithful God. And as we give, he gives to us bountifully. May you hear him. May you serve him. May you love him. May he bless the work of your hands. And when he blesses you, remember, as you are loyal and faithful to him, you continue blessing you. In Jesus' name, amen.